Well, let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we've been reminded already, your is the sword of the spirit. And we pray that even now in this time that the spirit would wield his sword and that he would do so in order to save and to sanctify, to convict and convince and convert sinners and to change your people to be more like our Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, in this time as we consider these verses of Ephesians 6 that we would know what it means to put on the whole armor of God that you have supplied for us that we might be able to stand firm as Christ's people. We ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen. Well, if possible, please do keep uh, those words of Ephesians chapter 6 open in front of you as we return to this great letter this morning. Last time we were in Ephesians... You'll remember that we were considering what Paul has to say about this brutal reality of spiritual warfare. And in verses 10 to 12, we saw that Paul was telling us that as God's people, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who opposes us because of the very fact that we are the people of God. And this enemy lines up his forces against us to do us harm in whatever way he can. As Paul points out, the enemy is spiritual. The enemy is evil. The enemy is powerful. And the enemy is prevalent in the world in which we live. And this enemy launches his attacks in various different ways. He has many different schemes that he employs against the church. At various times, he attacks us with temptations and with accusations, with afflictions and with false teaching. And so our whole Christian life here on earth is lived out in this context of a brutal spiritual war raging all around us. And notice that in verse 13, Paul talks about the need for the Christian to stand in the evil day. And it would appear that when Paul speaks of the evil day, what he has in mind is a particular moment or occasion or season in life when the enemy is attacking us in a more focused, more intense way. Remember how in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has successfully fought off the temptations in the wilderness, we read there that when the devil had ended every temptation, He departed from him until an opportune time. The devil was always against Jesus, but there was this opportune time when his attacks against Christ intensified. 
And so it is with the Christian believer as well. The enemy is always against us, but there are particular moments, there are particular occasions, there are particular seasons in life when the enemy's attacks are intensified against us. Maybe temptation seems to have an added strength, an added allure to it. Or maybe we're burdened with feelings of guilt and unworthiness because the devil is throwing more and more accusations against us. Or our minds are confused by some very persuasive sounding false teaching which throws us into a time of doubt and a lack of assurance. Or a season of affliction comes our way and it lays us low and it weakens our resolve. The Puritan John Owen describes the evil day like this. He says, temptations will have a season wherein their solicitations will be more urgent, their reasonings more plausible, pretenses more glorious, hopes of recovery more appealing, opportunities more broad and open, the doers of evil made more beautiful than ever they have been. And I'm sure that those of us who have been Christians for any amount of time will know what the evil day feels like. Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you can look back on a previous experience of it. Maybe it's round the corner for you. And the encouragement that we find here in Ephesians 6 is that he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. In verse 10, Paul has already told us that we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're not strong enough ourselves to stand against these attacks of the enemy. But by the strength of Christ at work within us, we can stand firm. And in order to do so, we must put on the armor of God. In Christ, God supplies every resource we need to stand firm, even in that evil day. He provides all the armor we need. It's our responsibility by faith to take up and put on the armor that God supplies for us. How foolish it would be for a soldier to head out into battle and just leave his armor and all of his weapons back at the camp. You can pretty much guarantee that would be the first soldier the enemy would try and attack. They would be easy pickings. And in a similar way, how foolish it would be for a Christian to try and get through the spiritual warfare of the Christian life without intentionally and daily putting on the armor that God has provided for us. If they neglect that, you can pretty much guarantee, can't you, that is the first Christian that the enemy is going to attack. The Christian who is complacent. The Christian who neglects these things. Such a Christian is, is easy pickings. That's where the enemy will train his sights. Brothers and sisters, it's vital we put on the armor of God daily and intentionally. Someone has put it like this. In heaven, we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. 
But here, these pieces of armour are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work and sleep in them or else we are not true soldiers of Jesus Christ. And so in these verses, the Apostle Paul describes to us these various pieces of armour that God has given to us in Christ. Paul has in mind a Roman soldier in his full military garb. Remember, as Paul is writing this letter, as he tells us in a few verses' time, uh, he's been held in chains. He's being held in a Roman prison. He's being watched over by Roman soldiers. And so this image of a Roman soldier comes very easily into Paul's mind. And he uses the Roman armor of the day as this picture, this illustration of the armor that God has supplied for us in Christ. And Paul begins with the belt of truth. You might not automatically think of a belt as a piece of armor. And yet if a Roman soldier went into battle without his belt on, then he would very quickly know about it. The belt is what holds everything else in place. It keeps things in order so that the soldier can then fight effectively. He can do so unencumbered by his clothes flapping around and tripping him up. Paul says that the belt which we must put on is truth. That is the foundational truth of God's revelation to us. We need to be wrapped up in what God says truth is. We live in an age, don't we, when there are so many competing, conflicting claims about what is true, what is good, what is right. Turn on your TV screens or scroll through social media or pick up the newspaper and almost immediately you're bombarded, aren't you, with these often very emotively charged declarations of what we as a society should affirm as true, good and right. Abortion or same-sex marriage or gender fluidity or whatever it may be. And the world's way of thinking can so easily seep into the church and into the mind of the Christian. Because the world can try and push us into its mold. The world puts pressure on us to start thinking the way that the world thinks. The world wants us to shift our beliefs about what truth is. And bring those beliefs in line with the world's views. Paul says, no, as Christians, we're to put on the belt of truth. That truth which is the truth that God himself has revealed to us. The truth, absolute truth, unchanging truth. Like a belt, God's truth is what keeps everything in its right place. Keeps things in order. And without God's truth, we flounder around. And yet with God's truth wrapped around us, we can fight against the enemy securely and effectively rather than being tripped up constantly by our own confusion and our own speculations. Christian, as you head out into the world, make sure you're wearing the belt of truth securely fastened around you, keeping everything in place, holding things in order. And then secondly, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is perhaps the most vital piece of armor 
that a soldier would have worn. Without it, his heart is left exposed, vulnerable to every attack. Without a breastplate on, he doesn't stand a chance. He's going to be killed at the first attack. And yet with a big metal breastplate wrapped around him, he's kept safe. And Paul says that the, the breastplate that we wear as Christians is righteousness. It's important we realize here Paul is not talking about our righteousness, the righteousness that we live out as, as Christian people. Now, as with all the pieces of armor that we're looking at here, the breastplate of righteousness is what God supplies for us in Christ. And our righteousness, our own righteousness, is at best faltering, it's imperfect. And yet when God the Son took to himself a human nature and was born as one of us, he lived a life of perfect righteousness. That's how he described his life himself, isn't it? At his baptism, he said it's necessary for him to fulfill all righteousness. He lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father's will. It was a life of impeccable righteousness and the good news of the gospel is that when a person trusts in Jesus that perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed to them in other words God counts it as theirs he wraps us up in the righteousness of Christ and it's on that basis that God accepts us not because of how we've lived but because of how Jesus himself has lived. He died, he took the death, he took the punishment that we deserve for all of our sin and guilt. But as well as that, as well as that, he lived the life that we should have lived so that not only can our sin be taken away, but so that we can be clothed in his perfect righteousness, counted to us, considered ours in God's eyes. And Paul says that this righteousness of Jesus, counted to us and received by faith alone in Jesus alone, is like a breastplate covering over us, our most vital piece of armor. And the devil can bring all the accusations that he wants against you. And he can remind you of all of your past sins. He can tell you that, that God doesn't really accept you. But if you're wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus, well, those accusations of Satan just bounce off. They really do. You might still feel them for sure. But rest assured, they bounce off. And the righteousness of Christ is an impenetrable barrier against all the attack attacks of the enemy. This is our breastplate of righteousness. Paul says to the Philippians, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let me ask you, have you put on the breastplate of righteousness? That is, have you trusted in Jesus so that his perfect righteousness covers you and so that God declares you acceptable in his sight? 
And then thirdly, Paul says we're to put on our gospel shoes. Put on your gospel shoes. Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A soldier's shoes or his boots would help him in two different ways, wouldn't they? Firstly, they would stop him from slipping. Even if the enemy was pushing against him, or even if he was making his way through some very difficult terrain, a good pair of boots would would help him to stand secure. With his boots on, he would not slip. And secondly, his his boots would help him to stay mobile, help him to keep on advancing, taking the battle to the enemy, running forwards, taking new ground. And it would seem that Paul has got both of these ideas in mind when he talks about our shoes being the readiness or the the preparedness or the equipment that is given by the gospel of peace. So firstly, a solid grasp of the gospel will stop us from slipping. And when the enemy comes against us with some false teaching that is at odds with the gospel, or when he attacks us with a certain temptation, or when he accuses us in some way, in each case he is trying to knock us off balance. He's trying to make us stumble in our Christian lives through falsehood or through sin or wrong guilty feelings, as the case may be. And yet having a good, solid, firm grasp of the gospel is what will stop us from slipping into doctrinal error or wrong feelings of guilt or into committing a a certain sin. Knowing the gospel helps to stop us from slipping in all of those ways. And secondly, knowing the gospel also helps us to keep on advancing in the work of sharing the gospel with others. It makes us ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Someone has put it like this, missionary work is like a pair of sandals that have been given to the church in order that it shall set out on the road and keep going on to make known the mystery of the gospel. It is why it's so important that every Christian has a solid grasp of what the gospel is. There is this twofold benefit to it. Knowing the gospel keeps us from slipping And knowing the gospel keeps us advancing in our mission, taking new ground as the kingdom of Christ advances and the kingdom of Satan is plundered. And it's why as Christians we need to keep coming back to the gospel time and time again. Refresh it in our minds. Keep it front and center in our thoughts. Let it shape our whole outlook on life. The gospel is not just for non-Christians. The gospel is for Christians as well. We never leave it behind. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself what the gospel is. We need to put on our gospel shoes. And then the next piece of armor is this, the shield of faith. Verse 16, Paul says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are these flaming darts that Paul is referring to here. Well, I take it that they are focused, well-aimed, personal attacks of the devil. And they're designed specifically to inflict much pain and do great damage to a Christian person. And one such flaming dart that the devil loves to fire at the Christian 
are his accusations about our sin. And he reminds us of certain sins that we've committed, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently. And these accusations that the devil aims at us are well aimed. They're personal attacks. They are designed to inflict a lot of pain and do a great deal of damage to the Christian person. And with these flaming darts, he whispers in our ear that a person who has done such and such a thing like you've done cannot be a saved person. They're not really forgiven. And in some way, God is still holding it against you. God is actually disgusted with you. He wants to keep you at arm's length. That's what the flaming darts of the devil say to us. And it can be extremely painful, can't it, to be on the receiving end of one of these fiery darts. And it leaves us feeling guilty. It leaves us feeling ashamed and disgusted with ourselves. It robs us of assurance. And there are Christians who struggle a great deal with these kinds of attacks. And yet, says Paul, there is a shield There is a shield provided for us by God which can keep us safe from all of these attacks and can extinguish those flaming darts that the evil one fires against us. Paul says that shield is faith. And of course we need to know therefore what faith really is. What is faith? Faith is, as Ian Hamilton very helpfully puts it, faith is self-abandoning trust in Jesus Christ. Self-abandoning trust in Jesus Christ. Faith is looking away from yourself, looking away from your inconsistent walk as a Christian and all the sins that you have committed and are committing and even will commit. Looking away from those things and looking to Jesus instead and abandoning any trust in yourself and what you have done and instead trusting in Jesus and him alone to save you from your sin by virtue of his death on the cross when he suffered every last drop of divine condemnation that all of your sins will ever deserve and he did so once and for all over and done with case closed by faith all the benefits of what Jesus has done at the cross are yours they flow to you through faith in him. And so when the devil's flaming darts attack us, faith is what says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You see, Christian person, we need to hold up the shield of faith. No matter what the devil says about you, you cannot become unjustified any more than Jesus himself can become uncrucified. Your salvation is as rock solid as that. Faith in Jesus extinguishes the flaming darts of the devil. And then the fifth piece of armor that we must put on is the helmet of salvation. The helmet is, of course, what protects the head. And I take it that what Paul is speaking about here is the way in which we need to protect our minds. The devil loves to get into the minds of people because he knows that what our minds think 
our hearts will then feel and our lives will then live out. So the enemy wants to get people thinking along the wrong lines. He wants to confuse them. He wants to deceive them. He wants to cast doubt into their minds about whether or not they're really a Christian. When the enemy tries to attack us like this, we need to make sure that we're wearing the helmet of salvation. We need to make sure that our minds are filled with and shaped by the truth of our salvation. So Paul says to the Colossians, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Then in a similar way, he says to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So ask yourself this, what are you filling your mind with in the course of your average week? What do you watch? What do you listen to? What do you read? What do you talk about? What do you browse on the internet? Don't leave your mind exposed to the enemy. Put on the helmet of salvation. And then last of all, Paul says that we must take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit for two reasons. Firstly, because every word of it was inspired by him. Peter writes, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The spirit himself is the primary author of scripture, which is the word of God. And secondly, the word of God is the sword of the spirit because it it is the weapon that he wields in order to advance the kingdom of God as he takes the fight to the enemy. Through God's word being read and preached, the spirit works powerfully. He works irresistibly to convince and convict and persuade people of the truth of the gospel. When Jesus himself was in the throes of spiritual warfare in the wilderness, When he was fighting against the devil, this was his weapon of choice, wasn't it? He took up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and with it, he chased the devil away. Paul says, you Christian, you need to arm yourself like Jesus armed himself. You need the word of God in your mind and in your heart and on your lips and guiding your life. And you take up the sword of the spirit by immersing yourself in the word of God. As you read it and as you meditate upon it. As you pray over it, as you listen to it being proclaimed. And with that sword at your disposal, you are equipped to fight off temptations and doubts. And chase away feelings of guilt and a a lack of assurance. And then remain steadfast in the midst of all afflictions. And as well as that, to be involved in the great work of plundering Satan's kingdom as you share the word of God with those around you. Our God doesn't send us into the battle ill-equipped, does he? No, in Christ, he has provided every piece of armor that we will ever need. He's given to us a belt of truth. 
and a breastplate of righteousness. He's given us gospel shoes and a shield of faith. He's given us a helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit to wield. And so Christian person, take up that whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand even in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you our thanksgiving for all that is provided for us in Christ. And you provide everything that we need for every step of the way in this life and indeed for eternity. We thank you for your grace that is ours from beginning to end in our Christian lives. That there will never be a day when you leave us or forsake us. You'll sustain us every step of the way, even until we arrive in glory. And again, this morning, we've been reminded that as your people, we are engaged in a great spiritual warfare that has been raging down the centuries and across the world and in the heavenly places. And we face a, a fierce and evil spiritual enemy an enemy who is powerful, an enemy who is prevalent in the world in which we live. And though that may sound daunting to us, we thank you that in Christ we can be strong in the strength of his might. And we see that we're called by faith to put on the whole armor that you have supplied for us in Christ. We thank you for each item of armor that Paul mentions here. And help us, we pray, to be wise and to be diligent in putting these things on and taking them up every day. That we may be able to stand, even in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So we pray, Father, that you would grant us success in the battle. We pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed. We pray that the kingdom of grace would be advanced. We pray that ourselves and others would be brought into it and kept in it. And we pray that the kingdom of glory would be hastened. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. We ask it all in your strong and precious name. Amen.